Thanks for tuning in. We're running a little bit late tonight, but we're going to get right up and running. We're going to go into the video and we'll save everything for the discussion afterwards. So, Caden, if you'll get ready with the transition, minimize that screen. Very top, that minimize button. You're not, you, I've got the camera pretty top. Minimize, minimize. The small bar. Right there. Now hit transition and we're ready to go. We'll see you in just a little bit. Today's prophecy lesson is world order all the time and more frequently now than ever. But what is the new world order? Well, the new world order is simply world government. And it's not just any world government. It's the world government of the Antichrist. And it's forming right now. Furthermore, it's the world government prophesied in the Bible in your Bible, and we're actually going to see the passage that tells us about the world government that we are entering into right now. Now, let's look for a moment at the term New World Order. Believe it or not, it's on the back of your dollar bill. Now, we've got to ask, what in the world is the term New World Order doing on the back of our dollar bill? Furthermore, why did they write it in a foreign language. If you look on the back of a dollar bill, and I think you can actually see it on your screen here, uh, you see the pyramid, and then below the pyramid is the ribbon. And written there in Latin is Novus Ordo Seclorum. I took a little Latin in school, and I happen to remember what this says. The word Novus is new. The word order, Ordo is order, and the word Seclorum is secular or world. So there it is right on the back of our dollar bill, New World Order. Now we also have to ask, well, what's it doing there? Who put it there? Well, I checked it out, I, I wanted to know. And come to find out, it's been there since 1935. Believe it or not, it was put there by US President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Well, what was he thinking when he put New World Order on the back of our dollar bill, well, I've come to find out that Roosevelt had dreams of building a one world governmental system, and he's the driving force behind the establishment of the United Nations. So when he put New World Order in 1935, he was already planning ahead to 1945 when the United Nations would actually be born. So that's the background for the term New World Order. Check it out in your, on your own dollar bill because you need to understand. Now remember, New World Order is world government and we're not dealing with any world government. We're dealing with the world government prophesied for the end of the age in the Bible, and it's the world government over which the Antichrist will rule. Now, I want to take you to the prophecy of world government. There's actually several in Scripture, but let's go right now to Revelation chapter number 13. We'll begin there with verse number 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads 
the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now remember, we have studied over the last couple of weeks about the United States discovered in the Bible from Daniel chapter number seven. You probably recognize some of these symbols that are used in Revelation 13, but there's a huge difference here now. Notice this beast has the body of the leopard, the feet of the bear, the mouth of the lion, the ten horns of the ten horn kingdom, and this beast has seven heads. Now, don't forget to notice this while we're here. And the dragon gave him his power and seat and great authority. Now, what does all this mean? Well, notice that the symbols in Daniel are the same symbols in Revelation. But in Daniel, the beasts are four separate beasts. Now, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation were written 650 years apart. This is pretty incredible. I mean, think about what you were doing 650 years ago. Uh, what was the world like 650 years ago? So about 550 BC, the book of Daniel was written with the vision of Daniel 7. One beast was a lion. It had eagle's wings. The second was a bear. The third was a leopard with four heads. And the fourth was a ten-horned beast. And yet we skip ahead 650 years to about 95, 96 AD when the book of Revelation was written. And believe it or not, the exact same symbols are being used. And as far as I know, the only two places in the Bible that this is true so we have this 650 years apart. How is it that the same symbols are used in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 13? Well, actually, the explanation is simple. For you see, the same individual wrote both books, even though it was 650 years apart. He merely changed secretaries. Doesn't the Bible teach us that in the writing of the scripture, holy men of old wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost? So almighty God, the word of God is God's word. God wrote the entire Bible, but he used different human instrumentalities to do it. And that's the reason he was able to use the exact same symbols in Daniel 7 as in Revelation 13, and yet he changed it up and used these symbols in a different way. Okay, so the four beasts of Daniel 7, the lion with eagle's wings, the bear, the leopard, the ten-horned beast, uh, they all merge into one beast. There's four separate beasts in Daniel, and it says there that these beasts symbolize nations. But when you move to Revelation 13, now you have one beast. Okay, what's going on here? It appears that all of the beasts, now remember we learned in our last two lessons that a beast symbolizes a kingdom or nation. If you want to check this out, go back to Daniel 7, verse number 23. It says the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom or nation. So we know that these are nations and we proved that these nations will exist at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But now that we see these nations merging into one beast or one kingdom or one nation. So this is a picture of a one world governmental system. Now, I'll never forget when I first started seeing this. Once I had understood Daniel 7 and understood that the lion was, was Great Britain, that the bear was um, Russia, that the leopard was Germany, that the tin horned 
uh, beast was the Holy Roman Empire revived. Once I understood all those things, and then I went to Revelation 13, I said, okay, what's going on here? And furthermore, there's something missing here. What's happened to the eagle's wings? Now, the eagle's wings are not there, and the four wings of a fowl on the back of a leopard are not there. What does this mean? Well, I'm not absolutely sure. Uh, we know the eagle is the symbol of the United States of America. So does this mean that the U.S. has been wiped out by this time? Now, between Daniel 7 and Revelation chapter number 13, there's a war, World War III, that's going to kill one-third of mankind. The U.S. is almost certainly going to be in that war. So the chances are we could have been wiped off the map. Or perhaps we've decided after the beating we will take in World War III, we may win the war, but at the same time, we may lose 25, 50 million. We, the Bible doesn't say how many we will lose. But once we go through this experience, there may be such an outcry in the United States. It's time for us to stay at home and mind our own business. Could it be that the United States of America would move into isolation? We don't know this for sure then there's always the chance that we're included back under the symbolism of the lion out of which we came. We're actually going to go into this more in depth later. So just sort of keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, now the combined beast of Revelation 13 represents the end time government of the Antichrist. The United Nations is the only force on earth today, the only structure that is specifically designed to be a one world governmental system. Now something you need to know about this because we're watching all this develop right now. We're hearing words like globalization and new world order. So is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Oh, what's really behind all this? Well, verse number two of Revelation 13 tells us, it says there, and the dragon gave this combined beast, its seat, its power, and it's great authority. Who's the dragon? Go back about five or six verses in the Bible. Back to chapter 12, verse number nine. It tells you we don't have to guess. It says there explicitly, the dragon is that old serpent, the devil, and Satan. So Satan is what's going to give this end time one world government its seat, its power, and great authority. Now get this message clear. One world government, the one world government that's forming right now, the globalization process, the new world order is of the devil. It is inspired by Satan. Have you ever found yourself wondering how they coordinate all of this? It's like they have power over the media, over the banking system, over the political systems of the world. Uh, it's like who's this brilliant mastermind that's bringing all of this together? Well, the answer is right here in verse number two of Revelation 13. The dragon, the devil, and Satan gave this combo beast, this world government beast, its seat, its power, and its great authority. Then the Bible says in verse number three, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Now, remember this beast has seven heads. I saw one of the heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. Now, why does this beast have seven heads? Because it's a perfect combination of the four beasts of Daniel 7, except for the eagle that's not there any longer. So let's count the heads in Daniel 7. You've got one for the lion, 
one for the bear, four for the leopard, and one for the ten-horned beast. Seven heads. Well, that's, it that simply shows us that all of the nations, Great Britain, Russia, Germany, and the revived Holy Roman Empire, presently known as the European Union, all of them are going to go together and they're going to form the end-time one-world government of the Antichrist, the New World Order. Now, notice what it says. This is going to be a very popular development. And all the world wondered after this New World Order, One World Government Beast. Most people are going to think this is one of the greatest things that has ever happened. Now, something else we need to know. In verse number 5 of chapter number 13, it says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. This seven-headed, ten-horned beast is going to be given a mouth. Now, we know from other scripture that this mouth is actually the mouth of the Antichrist, the one world leader that's going to rule for a very short time just before the second coming of Jesus Christ and just before the battle of Armageddon. Notice what it says right here in Revelation 13, 5. And power was given unto this beast and the mouth that spoke great things to continue 40 and two months. The reign of the Antichrist is going to be 42 months. I know some people have taught it's seven years, and it's not a huge point. But right here, it says that he will reign 42 months. Also, in the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 2, verse 3 and 4, it says that the Antichrist will be revealed when he stands on the Temple Mount, claiming to be the ultimate authority there. The Bible calls that the abomination of desolation. And Jesus Christ said it's at the abomination of desolation that the reign of the Antichrist begins. And the abomination of desolation occurs 42 months before the battle of Armageddon and the second coming. So we have several verifications that the reign of the Antichrist is going to last for three and a half years. Now that doesn't seem like very much time, but in a time of horrible tyranny, it's way too long. So his reign will be short, but it's going to be terrible. Here's what Jesus actually said. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, that it would be a time of great tribulation, such as never has been before. Think about that. Never before. Worse than Hitler's Holocaust. Worse than the Crusades of the Middle Ages. Great tribulation, such as never has been before. No, nor ever again shall be. Oh, there's something else you've got to take a look at here. Notice that this beast, it says that it had seven heads, but the mouth of the beast is the mouth of the lion. Now, what's that about? Okay, you've got seven heads. One of the lion, one of the bear, four of the leopard, and one of the ten horned beast. So then why does the passage specifically state that the beast has the mouth of the lion? Well, the number one obstruction to world government throughout history has always been the language barrier. Do you remember when people way back in the Old Testament wanted to build a one world government at Babylon? They started building this great tower into the heavens, and God stopped them by confusing their languages. He created different languages so they couldn't communicate, and it blocked their intention for a one-world government, which God did not favor. Now, ultimately, God's going to have a one-world government, but not until the perfect man gets here to run, to run it. Remember, power corrupts, 
absolute power corrupts absolutely. When anyone other than the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, rules a one world government, it will usher in a time of horrible tyranny. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And the Antichrist will end up being the most corrupt individual that's ever ruled in this world. Okay, so the scripture tells us that there are seven heads, but it tells us specifically that there's one head of the lion, but the mouth of this one world government beast will be the mouth of the lion. What does that mean to you? I mean, now we're watching all this happen right now. The process of globalization, the new world order is all depicted right here in Revelation 13. So why does it say that the mouth of the one world government beast will be the mouth of the lion? Because it's been decided that English is the global language today of the new world order. Do you know that pilots which fly on international flights are required to speak English? And telephone operators that handle international phone calls must speak English. When Kofi Annan was UN Secretary General, he stated the world community has made the decision that English is the global language. And of course, it's the language of the internet as well. So when the Bible says, remember this was written 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, but Almighty God who wrote this knew what the language of the end time one world government would be. It's enough to make your hair stand on the end. You realize how much God knows and how far in advance he knows it. Well, it really shouldn't surprise us because doesn't the Bible teach us that the hairs of our head are numbered, that he knows our downsittings, that he knows our uprisings. And Almighty God said, the global language of the end time will be the mouth of the lion. The lion is England or English. And that's exactly what has happened. Now, as we continue on, looking at the United Nations, it's the only structure for one world government. Let's ask this question. Where did the UN come from? What was its origin? Do you know where it's located? It's amazing, but in my conferences around the country, I ask people sometimes, does anybody know where the UN headquarters is? And can you believe that only 10 or 15% of the, of the crowd will even know? Because we're concerned about other things. So where did the UN come from? Well, it's an old idea, but recently realized. Way back in World War I, when the worst war the world has ever known took place, it was called the Great War, 8.2 million died. Now, prior to this, there had never been a war with 1 million fatalities. World War I, 8.2 million dead. The world said, never again. We've got to find a way to establish structures of global security so that this will never happen to us again. So they formed what was called the League of Nations. U.S. President Woodrow Wilson actually championed the idea. But many in our Congress said, wait a minute, we don't want to go here. We don't believe in being a part of a world government. We do not want to surrender U.S. sovereignty. And therefore, they voted it down. Since Wilson could not carry his own government into the League of Nations, it quickly dismantled. It fell apart. Well, 20 years later, here comes World War Two. And this time, we don't have 8.2 million dead. We have 52 million. Now, get this in your mind. Can you imagine 6,000 years of recorded human history and never one war with 1 million fatalities? We hit the enlightened 20th century and we have 
World War One, 8.2 million dead. World War Two, 52 million dead at the end of World War Two. The cry for world security was louder than ever. And already Franklin D. Roosevelt believed in it because he had already put in 1935 the term New World Order on the back of the dollar bill. So he was primed. He was ready to go. Now, let's remember what actually happened, though, after World War Two. Europe came together. Adolf Hitler had unleashed this terrible conflict up on Europe. And so Stalin, Churchill, and Roosevelt, Stalin being the head of the Soviet Union, Churchill the head of Great Britain, and Franklin Roosevelt, the president of the United States, they came together at Yalta. The war was just about over to divide up Europe. Well, at that particular time, Franklin D. Roosevelt was a dying man. He actually died 10 weeks later. Consequently, he was leaning very heavy on a bright and upcoming diplomatic star. And this young man was carrying the bulk of the negotiations for Roosevelt. He was sort of to Roosevelt what Henry Kissinger later became to uh, President Nixon. So he was there negotiating for the United States of America, and he caught the imagination of Stalin, of Churchill, and of Roosevelt, and so they tapped him to actually write the charter for this new concept, this global government structure called the United Nations. Let's bring all the nations of the world together. That's simply what it meant. They didn't hide anything. They were telegraphing exactly what they were talking about. Let's have a United Nations. Instead of a United States of America, let's have a United Nations of the world. And so they tapped this young, brilliant man to write the charter for the United Nations. Well, then he served as the Secretary General at the UN Formation Conference in 1945. But there was a big problem. Three years later, he was convicted of lying about spying activities for the Soviet Union, and he was sent to prison right here in the United States. Now, can you imagine? He's at Franklin D. Roosevelt's elbow. He's carrying the bulk of the negotiations to divide up Europe. And, you know, when all that happened, there was a lot of murmuring in the United States. Why did the Soviet Union get all of Eastern Europe? They gained control of East Germany, of Romania, Yugoslavia, and all of the Eastern countries, Poland, Czechoslovakia. And there was a lot of murmuring, but by then everybody was so weary of fighting. Everybody shrugged and said, oh, it is what it is. Well, no wonder the Soviet Union received so much at Yalta, because when you have your man on both sides of the negotiating table, well, you can get a pretty good deal that way. And that's what actually happened with Mr. Alger Hiss. If you'd like to read more about him, there's plenty written about him. And some of it's true and some of it's not. But he did go to prison because it was proven that he lied about his spy activities. He didn't go to prison for spying because the statutes of limitations had run out by then. But they were so determined that they were going to bring him to justice that they uh, actually put him in prison for perjuring himself. Now, when Hiss designed the United Nations, he designed it to be a global union of socialist republics. Now, if you don't believe this, take a look here. We have 
the emblem of the Soviet Union here. It's a globe with two sheaves of wheat around it with a hammer and sickle superimposed on the globe. The emblem of the United Nations, a globe, two olive branches around it looking very much like two sheaves of wheat, no hammer and sickle. That would have been a little bit too obvious back in 1945. He left that off to later. But even though he designed this entire UN charter to be a world communist government, the UN has never been changed at all. Hiss went to prison, but the UN continued to be a structure for one world government system. Now let's think about what happened. After the United Nations was formed in 1945, everything did not work exactly like it was anticipated. What happened was the Soviet Union received so much of Europe uh, as a result of Yalta and as a result of Alger Hiss that there was a lot of tension. Furthermore, Russia moved to gain in peace what Adolf Hitler had failed to gain in war. And it actually looked like for a while that Russia would end up ruling all of Europe and that communism would dominate all of Europe. Now, in order to head this off, the United States of America led the Western powers into NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It was a military alliance to counter the Warsaw Pact, which was the communist bloc of Eastern Europe. Well, the UN was rendered largely effect ineffective at this time because of the Cold War. Now, here's what actually happened. The United States was given veto power at the formation of the United Nations. The Members of Congress were unwilling to approve a world government structure unless the U.S. had absolute veto power. Well, when the U.S. got veto power, then Great Britain said, well, we want veto power. France said, we want veto power. China and the USSR, all of them victor nations of World War II, were given veto power. They formed what was called the Big Five, the five permanent members of the UN Security Council, and that's where the real power lies. So they could veto almost anything that this world government structure decided to do. And that's the reason that they were able to get this approved in Congress. Without that concession, it would not have happened. Now, notice here in Revelation, back to Revelation 13, verse number 3, it says, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Now we talked about the seven heads being one head for the lion, one head for the bear, four for the leopard, and one for the ten horn beast. But then this interesting scripture, verse 3, and I saw one of his seven heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after this one world government beast. Now make sure you remember this. It does not say the beast was killed, does not say the Antichrist was killed and rose again. It says one of the seven heads was wounded to death. Now it's absolutely impossible to understand which one of the heads or what this deadly wound is really all about unless we know what the heads are. Let's go back and review. Remember, all the heads of Daniel 7 were brought over. There were seven heads in Daniel 7, and they were all brought over in the combo beast, the world government beast of Revelation 13. So we have one head for the lion, we have one for the bear, we have four for the leopard, 
and one for the ten horn beast. So which head was wounded to death? After World War II, the Allies got together, Russia, uh, Great Britain, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and they said, you know, there's something fundamentally flawed at the heart of the German soul. They continually plunge us into war. They took us into war, the uh, Franco-German War of 1870, World War I, World War II. We've got to do something to ensure this will never happen again. So they made a decision that they would cut Germany in half. They created East Germany and put it under the communist sphere of influence and under the Soviet Union. And then they created West Germany and put that under the allied sphere of influence. In so doing, they reduced these two different German nations to a point where they didn't have enough population nor financial muscle to threaten world peace again. At that time, the headline screamed, Germany is dead. She will never rise again. Well, that wasn't all that happened because when the communist reality set into East Germany and into Eastern Europe, a lot of the people in Eastern Europe said, we want to get away from the communist tyranny. And they begin to flee into West Germany and into Western Europe. Well, that's when the Soviet Union decided on August the 14th of 1961 to build the Berlin Wall, the 29-mile wall that divided East Berlin from West Berlin. They also put up the Iron Curtain and they established lookout posts all the way through Europe, separating Eastern Europe from Western Europe. So this divided not only Europe, but more specifically, Germany. So Germany was cut in half. Now, at this particular time, there were a lot of interesting things said about this. Now, the Cold War is raging, and I'm looking at this combo beast. Way back, I'll never forget, 1968, I was speaking in Hobart, Indiana, holding a revival there. And I went to the bookstore. There was no internet at that time, so you bought books, you bought magazines, you bought newspapers to keep up with what was going on. And I was studying Revelation chapter number 13, verse 1 and 2, that showed Great Britain, Russia, Germany, and the nations of Europe all together. And I thought, this can't be. I mean, we were going to bed every night uh, afraid they were going to push those buttons and blow the whole world up. And Great Britain and Russia were bitter enemies. I mean, it was east against west. It was the height of the Cold War. Well, so I saw it in the Bible. I said, Lord, it looks like all these powers are going to go together into an end-time world government. But I mean, back in 1968, it looked like it was absolutely impossible. I mean, the conflict was so bitter over the building of the Iron Curtain, over the construction of the Berlin Wall. And of course, the Soviet Union had uh, actually... Uh, quarantined and boycotted uh, Berlin. We had to supply Berlin by air, the famous Berlin airlift. And so there was a huge amount of conflict. A lot of people thought the Soviet Union and the United States would go to war. Well, about that time, I'm studying this prophecy, and I thought I saw that Great Britain and the Soviet Union was going to end up together with Germany and with the countries of Europe. And I thought, how could this ever happen? Well, it was about that time, actually, it was March the 29th of 1968. I went to a little bookshop, a little magazine store, 
and I looked down at Life magazine, the March 29, 1968 edition, and I saw on the front cover three and a half superpowers to rule the world. Well, I had just been reading about this combo beast with the mouth of the lion, the feet of the bear, the body of the leopard, the ten horns of the ten horn kingdom. And I thought, wait a minute. This magazine, Life magazine, a well-respected magazine, is talking about three and a half superpowers to rule the world. Well, I, went, I took the magazine. I went home. And this particular article was written by George W. Ball, who was at that particular time Deputy Secretary of State for the United States of America. And to my absolute astonishment, he was proposing in this magazine article, in Life magazine, exactly what I was reading in the Bible, but thought it could not be true. Well, as I was reading all about this, now here's what he basically was saying. He said, in this time when there's enough nuclear weaponry to destroy all human, plant, and animal life off the earth 25 times over. Now, you only have to do it once. You know that. But he said, we've got enough nuclear firepower. Now, this is back in 1968, to wipe all life off planet Earth 25 times over. He began to talk about the divisions that were causing the tensions. He said, somehow, we've got to find a new global structure that will get rid of these terrible conflicts that threaten to blow up all of mankind. So he proposed in this article that three and a half superpowers would rule the world. And his three powers were the United States, the Soviet Union, uh, Europe, the European Union, and his half power was Japan. He said if these four powers would get together, they can ensure the borders where they are. We would not tolerate any borders ever being moved again. And we would not let little third-rate powers pull the two nuclear superpowers into conflict and threaten to destroy the world. And as I read that article, I thought, this is almost exactly what I thought I was seeing in the prophecies of the Bible and thought could not be true. Well, he had a special section on Germany, and he talked about the division of Europe, the Iron Curtain, and in particular, the division of Germany and the Berlin Wall. And on page 89, he said, the wound, the division that festers like a rusty knife wound must someday be healed. And I thought about the scripture. One of the heads, one of the heads is the Third Reich. We've got the First Reich, the Second Reich, the Third Reich, and the Fourth Reich, which is now rising. We know that a beast in Bible prophecy represents a nation or kingdom. Multiple heads on a beast represent the number of times that kingdom will rise and fall. And I thought, wait a minute, if the third head was the one that was divided when uh, Hitler's Third Reich was cut in half, when the deadly wound is healed, that will cause the whole world to wonder after the world government beast. And it's then that I realized that the Berlin Wall had a very special role to play and that the Berlin Wall was coming down. I started teaching in 1968 that the Berlin Wall would come down. And when that happened, it would spell the beginning of the New World Order. Well, I continued teaching that until... Uh, 1986, I published my first book, A Message for the President. And I put it, all that I'm telling you right now, in that first book, I stated that the Berlin Wall was coming down. Now, that was 1986. Nobody thought the Berlin Wall was going to be coming down. But three short years later, November the 9th of 1989, the fact is, it did 
come down. How did I know all this? Because of the prophecies of the Bible. Now, let me show you some other quotes as we were moving through here. Uh, 1986, August the 14th, this was from USA Today newspaper. Now, it stated there, there was an article, this was the um, celebration of the 25th anniversary of the building of the Berlin Wall, and it was titled Berlin Wall. West is somber, east is festive. The Berlin Wall's 25th anniversary Wednesday spotlighted its unique role as the stark symbol of east-west differences. The bricks and mortar of propaganda. Listen, the 29-mile wound that won't heal. I read that. I said, wait, that sounds like three and a half superpowers to rule the world. The deadly wound that won't heal. The rusty knife wound that won't heal. And here they're referring to the division of Germany and the Berlin Wall again. And they keep, keep talking about it being a wound. And the Bible says one of the heads was wounded to death. Well, remember back at uh, Life magazine, March 29, 1968? Here's what it said exactly. Each side can afford to give elbow room to the other outside Europe where the division that festers like a rusty knife wound must someday be healed. Then Dayton Daily News, going ahead to April 20th, 1989. We're getting really close now to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mikhail Gorbachev had burst on the world scene in 1985. He was capturing the imagination of the world. He was talking about freedom for all people. We didn't know whether to believe him or not. And so finally, in the Dayton Daily News, this article said, Gorbachev must now tear down the wall. Mikhail Gorbachev has backed himself into a corner. If he's for real, he's got to tear down the Berlin Wall. So all the attention of the world was now being focused on the Berlin Wall. I can't tell you what an experience it was for me. November 9, 1989. By now, my book was all over America and all over the world stating that the Berlin Wall would come down, the two Germanys would be reunited, and I wasn't really nervous because I knew it was from the Bible. At the same time, I had received my share of jokes uh, centered my direction, I promise you. However, I'll never forget the day when that wall fell, November the 9th, 1989. Nine. It was an incredible experience. I mean, they danced on top of the wall. They broke pieces out of the wall. The people from the slavery of communist Eastern Europe came pouring across the border. The people in Western Germany met them and gave them $600 a piece, spending money. They partied. They blew their horns. It was an incredible time. Well, Time Magazine came out with an article in its next edition, which was the November 20th, 1989 edition. And the article was entitled, Wall of Shame, 1961 to 1989. It was the most palpable evidence, watch this again, of a deep wound in European civilization. And it is finally gone. 2,000 years ago, in the prophecy of Revelation 13, the Bible calls the division of the third head of the leopard the wound that just won't heal. It was a deadly wound, but the deadly wound was healed. Now, what happened when the deadly wound was healed? I had stated in my book that when the 
deadly wound was healed, when the Berlin Wall came down, that would give birth to the new world order. Well, I wasn't prepared for how fast it would actually occur. But Mikhail Gorbachev and George Herbert Walker Bush, along with Pope John Paul II, within 20 days of the fall of the Berlin Wall, they met together at Malta. And when they came out of those meetings, it was November 30th, December the 1st of 1989, when they came out of those meetings, they announced the birth of the New World Order. My phone was ringing off the hook. How did you know this? Uh, where is this in the Bible? What's going to happen next? I just had to tell everyone. I only knew it because I saw it in the Bible. Aren't the prophecies amazing? What we can actually see when we realize what God has made available to us to understand. Now, Mr. Dick Cheney, who has been much maligned because of his role in the presidency of George W. Bush, uh, made an interesting statement. Now, he had been the Secretary of Defense under George W. Bush's father, George Herbert Walker Bush. He was the Secretary of Defense at the time, and now then, by 1991, he was, uh, well, now he's the Vice President, but back in 1991, in the Indianapolis Star on September the 29th, listen to what was said. Uh, Mr. Cheney was, was explaining why that there was this treaty signed to reduce weapons. There was a mass reduction of weapons. And he explains it in the Indianapolis Star. There is a good reason to take these steps now. The world is in a new era of promise that started two years ago with the collapse of the Berlin Wall. Now, he's saying this in 91, and he knows that a new era of promise started in 1989 with the collapse of the Berlin Wall. It was actually the birth of the New World Order. Uh, you've got to see this one because this was actually published by Merrill Lynch. And this was November the 9th of uh, 1999. And listen to what it said. The world is 10 years old today. Now, of course, Merrill Lynch was attempting to advertise uh, their financial services, but it was still amazing what they said. They said it was born when the wall fell in 1989. The world was just born. That was the beginning of the new world, the new world order. It's no surprise that the world's youngest economy, the global economy, is still finding its bearings. The intricate checks and balances that stabilize economies are only incorporated with time. Many world markets are only recently freed, governed for the first time by the emotions of the people, rather than the fist of the state. From where we sit, none of this diminishes the promise offered a decade ago by the demise of the walled-off world. The spread of free markets and democracy around the world is permitting more people everywhere to turn their aspirations into achievements. And technology properly harnessed and liberally distributed has the power to erase not just geographical borders. We're going to erase borders. Does that sound familiar? But also human ones. It seems to us that for a 10-year-old, the world continues to hold great promise. In the meantime, no one ever said growing up was easy. Now, the next thing you're going to see 
is a clip by Mr. Strobe Talbot, who stated in Time Magazine back in 1992, his article was called uh, The Birth of the Global Nation. And he said in the 21st century that national sovereignty as we have known it would cease to exist. We would all answer to a single global authority. Now listen to him as he's being interviewed at the Council on Foreign Relations, the entity that supplies 50% of all cabinet members, whether the administration is Republican or Democrat. Listen to what he says about global governance or world government. I mean, also just uh, say a word of acknowledgement. First to the council, it's, it's great to be back here. I love this institution. It's been terrific part of my education over the decades. You write that there's always been and always will be a tension, sometimes creative, sometimes destructive, between on the one hand the concept of an international community that recognizes interdependence as a fact and collective governance as a necessity, and on the other the appeal of a national community that thinks of itself as independent and sovereign. How can people who believe as you do and broadly put those voices in the Democratic Party or voices we associate more with the Democratic Party talk about global governance without setting off alarm bells that the one worlders and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission are all coming for them to get both their guns their Bibles and still turn it into a one world government. What is, the, what is the vocabulary of global governance that is politically and culturally most appealing? Or to put it differently, why is global governance almost uh, a no-no phrase right. for those who want to avoid uh, political radiation poisoning uh, right. in, our, in our, uh, our debate? I actually uh, did a little bit of research on the web and elsewhere about this, and I was interested to discover <clears throat> that the phrase global governance is assiduously avoided. Global governance is a phrase which is used quite commonly in the curricula of uh, universities all around the world and publications and, and that kind of thing. I certainly learned very quickly, including the hard way to avoid it when I was in the State Department, uh, even though I was working for a, uh, a, a president who was a liberal internationalist. Uh, and it does still have this uh, association with the uh, whir of the rotors of the black helicopters uh, getting ready to land in our schoolyards and so forth and so on. World government obviously suggests that you've got a single capital somewhere and a single flag and presumably a single national anthem and the sovereignty of all other nations is subordinated to that uh, uh, and by the way, Harry, Harry Truman did, did believe in this, uh, a federation of the world and the parliament of man. Uh, and that is a dream uh, that uh, some still entertain for the future. But global governance, in the sense that uh, I think the phrase is properly used, is not a dream, it's a reality. And we've had it uh, for a long time. And in the modern age, uh, i.e. now, uh, we have global governance in lots of forms. Uh, and some of them are associated with the United Nations, others are associated with the WTO, the World Health Organization, uh, it, and there's regional governance. Uh, it's just a fact of life. So I see global governance as nothing more or less than a way of collectively, as sovereign states, 
managing uh, the fact and the ongoing process of globalization and the fact of interdependence. Well, you heard from Mr. Strobe Talbot. Who is he? He worked in the Clinton administration for seven years. He was Bill Clinton's roommate when they both were Rhodes Scholars in London, England. Now he's the president of the Brookings Institute. And Susan Rice, who was President Barack Obama's foreign affairs advisor, worked under Strobe Talbot at the Brookings Institute, this man who believes in one world government. She now has been tapped by President Obama to be our ambassador to the United Nations. Well, what are we watching here? We're watching world government, globalization, world trade, world bank, world criminal court, all of these terms we are watching the one world government. It's right now, it's in your Bible and you're watching it form right now. Aren't you glad for the prophecies of the Bible? Without that, we would be pretty well lost. We wouldn't know what was coming next. I've been running good. Is it moving? Is the bar moving when I'm talking? Yes, sir. We're learning on this end. All right. You know, like I said last week, this video series was shot in like 2009, 2010. By the time it was finished editing, um, Barack Obama was in the White House. So a lot has happened in the last 13 years. A lot has happened. It seems like now we're kind of moving quicker through a lot of these uh, passages, these scriptures in the Bible. And I want to pull up um, I want to pull up <clears throat> a lot's happened since last week. When we met last week, the, the uh, Israel Hamas, the attack from the Palestinian into is into the God from Gaza over into the West Bank hadn't happened yet and keep this in mind it's very important um, the area that they're talking about in that initial attack from Hamas was what they call the West Bank but if you go back into biblical terminology it's called Judea it's biblical Judea and there's one of the um, my first thought I don't I don't know if you guys you guys keep up with the news quite a bit a little bit were you watching pretty closely when this started not so much let me see if I can get this up off my phone onto the television Do you have, I took a screenshot of it, and now, well, here, let me just do it this way. Uh, so I'm going to read the scripture, and then I'm going to play a video. 
and we're gonna we'll skip a couple of verses just to make it a little shorter, but we're gonna start. This is Matthew 24, verse 15. So this is Jesus giving his prophecy timeline for the time that we live in right now. And we covered some of this last week. Um, we talked about the beginning of sorrows last week, where it talked about um, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, and uh, famines, earthquakes, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places, famines. And, uh, and then it says, but the end is not yet. And it talks just briefly, and then it goes right into the abomination of desolation. So to kind of give you a quick description, we'll, the, the final seven years will start when there's a peace agreement between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Halfway through that is when the abomination of desolation happens. That's the Antichrist. will stand in the newly built temple claiming to be God. And there's two or three scriptures for that. But... Um, <clears throat> this is Jesus talking about what happens when that three and a half years, that final three and one half years starts, and that'll be the final three and a half years to the second coming in the battle of Armageddon. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, standing in the temple, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And I'm going to skip down to 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of, of the world to this time, no nor ever again shall be. So... This is a description of people that are out in Judea at the time at the time the Antichrist stands in the temple claiming to be God. And at that exact moment in the spirit world, Satan is kicked out of heaven. He, he tries to he tries one last ditched effort to overthrow God. He's kicked out of heaven. And in Revelation 12, a little after 14, it talks about, or right before that, it talks about where He's kicked out of heaven. It says, Woe be to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for Satan comes down to you having great wrath, knowing he hath but a short time, and he persecutes the woman for the nation of Israel for a three and a half year period, time, times, and a half a time. So, the exact moment that Satan's kicked down to the earth spiritually, a man stands in the temple of God claiming to be God. And that marks the beginning of the final three and one half years of the Battle of Armageddon. I've never really been able to imagine what it would be like to um, you're talking about overall in Judea, Samaria, you're talking about 800 and some thousand Jews. Now this is one little section, but when they came across, when Hamas came across in, from the Gaza Strip into uh, Judea, West Bank, they took over a few towns. I'm going to play this quick video here. And this is in the exact area that Scripture is talking about. This is the West Bank. Now, I haven't edited this for any foul language or anything. I'm just playing this. See the paragliders coming in? 
And now they've already landed and they've started slaughtering the Jews. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. For then will be it'll be this, what we just saw, on a much greater scale. Hundreds of thousands of Jews will have to flee. And from that time to the last, through the final three and a half years, Satan is going to go after God's people. And, you know, I saw something yesterday or the day before, and I've heard this before in sermons, but when you're saved, when you're born again, you become Jewish. You're grafted into the vine. In God's eyes, you become the, part of the chosen people. So, um, when Satan is cast down to the earth, the only thing he can do to get back at God is to go after the, the Jewish people and the true Christian and, and the church, or the true Christians. So, that's what we're dealing with. On that note... Hamas has called for a weekend of jihad for Muslims across the world and um, to rise up over this weekend and, and cause some death and destruction. So anybody that's watching that sees this and anybody here, keep your head on a swivel this weekend. Um, I'm not saying anything bad's going to happen. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but it's always good to be aware. Um... The other thing that came to my mind on this, on this same exact topic is every president, at least, I, you know, I don't go back. I was a kid during Reagan, or younger. I was younger. Um, every president since about that time frame and on up through, have done what they can. The big one being Bill Clinton starting with him and on through, um, pushing for a peace agreement between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Donald Trump had probably the one that was the closest to what Scripture says will, what the peace agreement will look like. We know several things about it, and we're going to go over it in one of the lessons, but we know that it will, it must allow for the Jews to build their third temple, and they will build it quickly, because once they build that third temple, they will be in it. For 2300 days and that's the majority of of the final seven years so they will build that thing quickly well they've got everything they need to get started on it they've got they say they can build it in less than a year and they've already made all the utensils for it and they are preparing and making it as efficient as they can make it as soon as they're given the go-ahead um, so the, the 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 third temple must be built because the antichrist is going to stand in it um, we know from what we just talked about, that the Jews that live out in the in the West Bank in Judea, Samaria, will be left out there, and um, apparently not very well protected or as protected as they should be, because um, what we just talked about in Matthew 24 will come to pass. They will be overrun. These Palestinians came right through the security wall. Somehow they had I don't know if they had tunnels. I haven't read up on it. I haven't watched up on it. 
but they overran, some of them came in by paragliders, as you see, um, but they overran the, palace, the, the Jews that lived out in that West Bank. And if you look at it from an aerial map, the West Bank, there's just a security wall and then the Gaza Strip. You could, if the wall wasn't there, you could just walk right over there. In fact, they hire a lot of the people in Gaza to come over and work on the Jewish side because they pay so well compared to what they would make. The money's not really worth anything in uh, the Gaza Strip. The Palestinian money isn't worth anything. So they love coming over and working for the Jews. And those same people flooded across that wall and killed some of the people that they knew. So it's just not something that the average human can, can really fathom, but it's going to happen. So that's some of the stuff that this peace agreement will allow for. The Jews will be, will be allowed to stay out in the West Bank territory. They will be allowed to build their third temple and it will be on the Temple Mount and the, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is up there now, will stay um, according to scripture. So those are some of the things that we know for a fact. But here's what I was thinking about. This war started off extremely brutal and Israel is retaliating in a more not as much of a terroristic fashion as Hamas came over but they're they're really attacking hard I'm not saying I blame them I don't but they're attacking very hard and this is a really probably one of the heavier losses of life that we've seen from skirmishes between Israel and Palestinians I'm wondering if the end result of this isn't going to be the world community coming together and saying, you two got to sit down and sign a peace agreement. And they may force them into it. And Brother Baxter, who, who now, rest his soul, is passed away, the one that gives these lessons. But um, um, I'm wondering if they're not going to force them to sit down. And He always thought that it would take a war like that or a war to get the two sides together. Trump came really close if you paid attention in his Abraham Accords, um, but he never really quite finished off. And uh, we'll get into some of that in another lesson. The other thing that I noticed while I was sitting here, while the video was playing, I went through some headlines. Um, and I'll just read this headline. And this is from, I guess it's still on my phone, isn't it? This is an article from Israel Hayam, which, you know, over here we have USA Today. In Israel, they have Israel Hayam, which is Israel Today. And this is talking about Russia is really not taking a side. You know, every nation in the developed world is standing against Hamas and this and with Israel, for, for the most part, all the Western countries. Russia isn't taking a side. And I found that interesting for a reason because in uh, Zechariah 14, it talks about, we'll get into that, in the Battle of Armageddon, the biggest, I think the biggest country involved in the Battle of Armageddon is going to be Russia. So Russia is going to eventually end up being totally against Israel um, at the Battle of Armageddon. And so just by simply reading this article, you can tell that they're already starting to take that direction. Um, it, the anti-Semitism that we will see in the final three and a half years, we've known that it won't be an overnight thing. It will be, a, it'll happen over a period of time until the time of the Antichrist. Um, 
And you're seeing now, just you're seeing United States college students saying hurrah for Hamas for doing this. And, I mean, beheading babies and just cutting people in half in their homes, throwing their bodies out on the street. I mean, it's just un unimaginable, unthinkable um, atrocities. And some people in the United States are happy about it. Some of the members of Congress are happy about it. Look at the squad. It's just sickening. But like I said, it's heavily going to be prevalent in Europe at the time of the Antichrist. So I just wanted to bring up those, those two or three things real quick just to kind of add to the, for the discussion part, just for the current stuff. You guys have anything? Whenever it was talking about um, the eagle and the eagle not having the wings anymore. Mm -hmm. Did he ever cover the end of that? He said he didn't know for sure why that was. This was back in 2009, 2010. And this was about the time I really started noticing that end time ministries lined up with what I believed. I hadn't heard of them prior to that. Um, they've since put out new material and I don't have it yet. I'm, the ministry, the Prophecy Views ministry needs to order that and have that in and maybe sometime through this series we'll switch over to the new stuff because they're laid out the same, just uh, just more updated because things have happened in the last 13 years. If you go, and we talked about this last week, if you go to Revelation 12, um, you're at, if I'm understanding correct, your question is, where are the eagle's wings? Yeah, well, I had a couple thoughts about it. Uh -huh. um, one being, um, I lost it. One thing was um, in Isaiah 40, 31, it says, Those who have faith in the Lord shall soar on the wings of eagles. Which, Isaiah, he was a prophet, correct? He was. I'm not sure that that was a prophecy. I don't know if it was related, but it just chapter, came to but, mind. Mm -hmm, yeah. I've, I've noticed that in scripture as well. Um, the other thing was, would the we were America was supposed to be the eagle, correct? Mm -hmm. If they no longer have their wings, that means they're not free anymore. Would that mean America would be enslaved at that point? Let's take a look at Revelation twelve fourteen. I would bring it up on my phone, but it's going to throw it up on the TV until I stop casting. I guess I could do that. You want me to read it? Oh. <laughs> I love that reaction. <laughs> Do you want me to just read 14? Or? If you want to. Well, better I can. You, go? you can. You're better at it than I am. So remember, the woman is the nation of Israel. And um, we're looking to see why the wings of, of the eagle aren't mentioned in the first part of Revelation 13, the very next chapter, just a few verses ahead. Well, remember, the chapters and verses were added thousands of years later, a thousand years, not thousands, but hundreds of years mm -hmm. later. So John was writing, and he's describing, and, he and, and we're again, we're looking for the eagle's wings. Revelation 12, 14. This is immediately after the Satan is kicked out of heaven, and he's now on the earth. He's bound to the earth. Um, and to the woman, the nation of Israel, were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, 
Keep in mind, her place is her promised land that God gave her. People will tell you she's going to flee to Petra. Petra in the 200 AD, 100 AD would have been a great place, position to fight from. But now one bomb in the middle of Petra and the whole place is destroyed. So everybody says Petra, but if you'll notice in Zechariah 14, God says, I will bring all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So if they're up in Petra, they're going to come to battle at Jerusalem and it's crickets. Nobody's going to be there. So that doesn't make any sense. Um, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a time, three and a half years, from the face of the serpent. So this is the United States standing for Israel and protecting her. And, it tell, and, and to me, this is the final three and a half years, which is almost the length of term of one, one of our presidential terms, four-year term. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that it's going to happen right at the beginning of a presidential term. All I'm saying is at that final three and a half year point, people will twist a lot of times and they'll say that presidents back Israel, but most of our leaders have been more for global governance for the past 40, 50 years than they have been anything. They will sell whoever out if it has to, to go for global governance. Well, this is talking about whoever is over the United States at that time, whoever the president is, is going to, at the time it's going to be most difficult politically, they're going to protect Israel from the face of the serpent, from the face of the Antichrist for that three and a half years. So it's going to be a very bold political move. Now, have we had a president lately that was sort of like that? I believe so. I believe we have as well. And I'm not saying it's going to be him. It, it, in fact, I would almost argue, until I know more, it, it probably cannot be President Trump, but it's going to be somebody Do like that. you think that. it's his son, Barron? I don't know that... Barron? Um, I don't have any clue. He would have to be 35 at the time mm. to run for president. That's true. Could be Don Jr. Speaker of the House? Huh? Could he be Speaker of the House? I don't have any idea how that's going to... None of that is in Bible prophecy. I would be guessing otherwise. All I'm saying on this prophecy scripture is apparently we have somebody Trump-like that has that same mindset that, that Trump has of, I really don't care what the one world establishment is. I'm the president of the United States and it's my job to focus it, on the betterment uh, of the United States. Is it Ron DeSantis? Isn't he running for... He's running for president, but it, it will not be this president coming around because we haven't started the final seven years yet. Right. We don't have that peace agreement. So it'll be whatever, whoever's president of the time at the time of the peace agreement will have another election mm -hmm. before the final three and a half years. So even whoever's in office at that time, we won't know for sure if they're going to be the president it could be a Democrat president for the first three and a half years and a, and a conservative, mm -hmm. a true conservative, at the final three and a half years. We just simply don't know. Um, although we don't know who it will be, but I will say this. It's going to be somebody that is um, against the one world government. And so that's why Trump really caught our attention. He was pulling us out of the United Nations. He was backing us off there, pulled us out of the World Health Organization. Um, backed us out of the Paris Climate Accords, Par Paris Climate Treaty, whatever that's called. Mm -hmm. Pulled us away from Iran, the Iran deal. Um, 
he was and then started the Abraham Accords. And so we were getting pretty anxious about, man, we're just, we're running through the pages of prophecy when Trump was in, in office. Um, but I believe right there, I'm dead sold that that is the United States standing up for Israel in that final three and a half years. It doesn't give us a lot of indication of what's going to happen the first three and a half years. We don't know a whole lot. There's not a lot of prophecy to it. Some, we know that Israel will build her third temple and it'll be completed inside that first three and a half years. This is a lot to remember, but if the peace agreement has not been signed, if the peace agreement is signed and we have not had that sixth trumpet war yet that kills one third of the human race, it will happen in the next three and a half, in the first three and a half years, if it doesn't happen before that. It, but it has to happen scripturally um, before the Antichrist is, stands in the temple claiming to be God. If you look at the Sixth Trumpet War and then read the, the, the scriptures beyond it, staying in that timeline in the next several verses, then it, it'll, it'll launch into the Great Tribulation or the the great tribulation, it'll launch into the abomination of desolation. So we know that that war has to happen before that. But because there are different places in the Bible, Daniel 7 versus Revelation 9, we don't know which happens, we don't know which is the next to happen, the peace agreement or the war. A huge, huge war could, could lead to a peace agreement. I believe, and Brother Baxter and I used to talk about this, he always thought that the Sixth Trumpet War would lead to the peace agreement, and I always thought that the Sixth Trumpet War would lead to the the would be the on ramp for the Antichrist to come into power. We won't know until it happens, but I'll say this: this war right now, please, if you guys are news junkies, Ronnie, um, keep your eye on this situation because. We know several things about this Six Trumpet War, and Michelle and I have talked about this several nights at her place over a cup of coffee. We know that it's going to spark at the Euphrates River, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Iran. What's the big one in there right now? Iran is all over the Middle East stuff. They're feeling very bold right now because they're backed by China. China's got their back. Well, we, and we know from the Sixth Trumpet War description, we know from the description after the Sixth Trumpet War in Scripture, Iran is still around. A lot of those Middle East Euphrates River nations are still around and mentioned. So the spark must happen there, but the death and destruction is going to be elsewhere in the world. One of the armies involved will be able to field an army of 200 million soldiers. And I just posted a thing on the Prophecy Views Facebook page. If you're not on there, you can like the page. There's also one called Prophecy Views Connected. It's a more private group. But um, somebody was being interviewed. One of the, he didn't even know what he was saying. He didn't know, in, in reference to Bible prophecy, it was a retired colonel from the US military. They got to talking about China and he said, uh, I believe he was being interviewed by Stephen Gardner. And he said, China, they can field an army of 200 million soldiers. And he just kept talking. And I'm like, whoa, he doesn't even know what he said. And I just took that segment out and posted it. Um, Euphrates River Spark. One of the armies involved, 200 million soldiers. Right now, that would just about have to be China. 
one-third of the human race will be wiped out. But we have a picture later down the road to know what nations are still around. Apparently, we're still one of them. Mm -hmm. Israel, Iran, Russia, China is never... If that 200 million soldier description is talking about China, other than that, China is never mentioned in Bible prophecy. A nation that has their nose in everything. So I'm wondering if they're not wiped out. What we've just talked about is a lot. So final seven years starts. It'll be the greatest prophetic fulfillment since Jesus Christ. Because now we will know for sure where we are on the timeline. The peace agreement between the Palestinians and Israelis will mark the beginning of the final seven years. And that's Daniel 9.27. Everybody thinks that if a United States president is involved in that peace agreement, that he must be the Antichrist. Can't be. But if you look at Daniel 9.27, it's talking about the Antichrist, and it says, He will confirm the covenant with many for a week of years. It's a seven-year period. So there's going to be several people involved in this peace agreement. Typically, the United States is one of the countries pushing for it. But we know from the ten toes in Daniel 2 that the Antichrist must come from the Holy, rebuilt Holy Roman Empire. Um, between Daniel 2 and... Um, Revelation 13. The Holy Roman Empire? The Holy Roman Empire was like Europe. Okay. And that's Daniel 2. It's the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and had Daniel interpret that dream. He, his empire was the head of gold and then there's a body of silver, um, thighs of brass, legs of iron, and the feet of iron mingled with clay. It's the only time in that statue, going from the legs to the feet, that an element is brought forward and then mixed with something else. And up until 800 AD, it was the Roman Empire ruled the world. They still ruled, they were a ruling force in Jesus' day because that's why the Roman soldiers were there. They were the, what we would call occupying forces. They, uh, they were the occupying forces of Israel in that day. They, they ruled over Israel. Well, that lasted up until about eight, uh, Christmas Day of 800 A.D. The Pope at that time, Pope Leo III, put a crown on Charlemagne and declared him the king of the Holy Roman Empire, the ruler of the Holy Roman, Holy Roman Empire. It's the only time in history that we kept an element and added an element to it. And so I think it very well describes um, going to the Holy Roman Empire well, that ceased to exist in 1806. Let's see. 1806. It was about a thousand years. Um, and then the Holy Roman Empire was defeated. Um, but a lot of us people in prophecy knew that that Holy Roman Empire would be rebuilt because Scripture in Daniel 2 says that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never pass away and never be destroyed. But it shows a, a boulder coming out of the mountain and smiting the image, that statue, smiting that image on the feet. And the whole thing crumbled down and the, uh, the kingdom of God filled up the whole earth. And it said in the days of these kings, that these kings, the ten toes, that the God of heaven would set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and never pass away. And that is how we know from Daniel 7, later Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, 
that the nations that they're talking about are the same as those ten toes. Because, so he starts talking about the bear and the eagle, or the lion with eagle's wings and the four-headed leopard. We know that he's talking about those ten toes as far as um, the Holy Roman Empire aspect of it. Um, we know that those are the nations that they have to be around at the time of the second coming because that's what he's talking about and he's furthering his discussion from chapter 2 to chapter 7. So that's a lot of information. But a lot of this stuff is going to be, we'll go over it week after week. You'll get tired of hearing it. But it's very pertinent right now because there's, we're in a big uncertain time right now with this war going on. It's mm -hmm. just something that I keep constant attention on. I have all kinds of alerts on my phone and some of the partners with uh, Prophecy Views Ministry keep, keep an eye on things. What else you got? If we don't have anything else here in just a second, we're going to do next week at this time. I'll have to look it up. I don't have it in front of me. What our next lesson is. So we'll be here for week three next week. And um, we look forward to having you. We're trying to go online about 7.30 for those that, that watch. We're trying to hit about 7.30. Originally I put out there 7 p.m., but we just need a little extra time. So we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in.